0: Hello and welcome to Dynasty As They Want To Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari. Hello, Kyler. How are you doing today? I'm good. How about you? Great. It's a pretty big moment in the pop culture sphere this week. We just had Game of Thrones in. How excited are you about the ending of Game of Thrones, Kyler?
1: I mean, are you trying to trigger me?
0: (laughs) I know you're you are not a Game of Thrones bitch, and I'm not really either. I am very happy for the people that are into Game of Thrones. I know they've been very excited that it's back and that it's coming to an epic conclusion. But I you know I've just never really been able to get into that show.
1: I mean, I've never even watched it, so I wouldn't know.
0: You do. You are familiar with what Game of Thrones is, right?
1: I'm I yeah, it's pervasive. There's no way you can't not know what it is. Yeah.
0: No, I think it was a pretty big moment that it was ending this week. Um I mean, we're not a Game of Thrones podcast, so we're not really going to get into the epic conclusion and who ended up on the Iron Throne. But I do think it's worth mentioning because it basically is a soap opera and we're basically talking about a soap opera on this podcast.
1: Well, and the whole idea of Dynasty is like, you know, it's the it's the power struggle. It's, you know, layers of family and money and politics, you know. It's the precursor to what uh, Game of Thrones was. And by the way, like wasn't everybody watching Dynasty in the in at this time or, or I don't know who was watching this by the way because I mean, I wasn't, and I, my mother wasn't, and but apparently this was like one of the most highly rated shows at that time. So it's in that way, it's also kind of not unlike Game of Thrones today, right? Well, I don't know what you and your mother were doing,
0: but yes, lots of people were watching it because there wasn't a lot to watch back then. You didn't have Netflix or HBO Go, so. The choices were limited to like four channels. I would argue it's actually channels.
1: different because you have so much more to watch. Why is everybody watching Game of Thrones?
0: That's kind of my comparison is because so many people watch Game of Thrones and so many people were watching Dynasty at its height of popularity, which you don't really get a lot of today because things are so segmented. But the one thing that we don't have on Dynasty that Game of Thrones has is dragons. Yeah,
1: we definitely don't have any dragons on Dynasty. But there are some fire breathers, I would say. Like who? <laughs> Who's breathing fire already on Dynasty?
0: Um, Joseph, the house manager, the, the bitchy bubler. That's butler. laser eyes. That's not
1: fire breathing.
0: <laughs> anyway, enough about Game of Thrones. Should we get into what we're here to discuss, which is the third episode in the first season of Dynasty, The Honeymoon. Are you ready to go on a honeymoon, Kyler?
1: I, I, why are you buying into the title of this episode? <laughs> because I want to go there on. There was a, like zero honeymoon after trip. the first two minutes and 12 <laughs> seconds. Like, there is no honeymoon on this. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a break
0: and then we'll get into it. So, the episode begins on the Carrington private jet when Blake and Crystal are in the midst of. I guess of their honeymoon, they're sailing around the South Pacific.
1: Well, I mean, they're on a plane, not sailing. <laughs> she's in her Too Hawaiian shiny. tropic bikini, which is an interesting choice of attire for a jet plane. But yeah, okay.
0: why is she wearing a bikini on the plane? Wouldn't she have changed before she, she was looking like, like
1: in a magazine ad or something? I don't know. Like, obviously this is a stylistic choice either by the you know production or or just by the character who knows it's definitely selling the fact that they're on this south pacific fantasy
0: but the fantasy has been cut short because Blake Carrington ring, ring. receives a call from Andy Laird who's his his lawyer his sort of right hand man and there's all of these troubles with the Carrington oil derricks in the middle east and basically all of his oil is gone amidst this political conflict all of your oils are belong to them yeah it's enough that crystal says hey we'll cut the honeymoon short so you can get back to denver and figure this out she's
1: kind of offering that up as like uh i'm i'm new to all this and and i just want to make you happy kind of you know and she sells it. it it's it's a, it's a nice sort of touch to that character. It's enough to make them turn
0: the PJ back around to Denver where they arrive back at the Carrington Mansion, which looks a little bit different than we remembered the past couple of episodes. That's because this episode is basically the beginning of the series, whereas everything was shot on location at the Fioli Mansion in uh, Northern California. This is now on sets that they've created that were you know, on the back lot in Los Angeles. And I think it's pretty cute that when Blake and Crystal enter back in, Crystal remarks that it's bigger than I remember. And then Joseph the bitchy- Sex bu- joke. <laughs> Joseph the bitchy butler says something like, well, we left it just as it well, was. Well, now, we can't just
1: say Joseph the bitchy butler. I mean, have we met Joseph before at this point? I I, mean, I suppose he's been like a bit character up until now, right? Well, I thought Joseph
0: was the bitchy wedding planner in the first few episodes, but it turns out he has a much bigger role in the Carrington family.
1: Yeah, and I, I just like you know when she walks in and, and delivers that line like they they trade like laser eyes you know it's, there's
0: a lot of laser eyes from Linda Evans in this episode yeah. she's shooting dirty lurks well, at everybody because basically
1: uh he was the head of the household you know as far as domestic duties go and now she's come in to take take over his domain essentially right
0: yeah, no, definitely there is a power struggle going on in this episode between Crystal and not only Joseph, the bitchy butler, but the entire staff, it seems like she's got some sort of issue with from the gardener all the way up to the maids.
1: Right, but that's a little bit different with everybody else. With, with the butler, it's like, you know, it's like a bitch fight, right? I think she's just like, she's got the general issues. Like, you're you're not scrubbing the toilet the way that I would do it. But with the butler, it's like, I want duck. And she's like, well, I think duck's kind of heavy. And he's like, well, would you prefer squab? Which is like, uh, nobody would get that now or maybe even then. But like that's like basically saying, well, would you rather have pigeon for dinner instead of duck? Were you aware that that's like what squab is or... (laughs) I've had squab,
0: thank you very much. But yes, I would have pigeon. I've mu- I would much rather have uh I'd much rather have duck than squab. It is a weird it is a weird comparison, but yeah, throughout this episode we see Crystal trying to assert herself as the lady of the household and it seems like at every turn the help don't really
1: want her around. Well, not to dig too much back into the prior episode but she is sort of having the same domestic nightmare that claudia was having earlier but Mm. you know maybe it's mental illness probably not it's like this this like this same like sort of theme and like she's like having this fight with the real head of household because apparently he's planning the menus and the flowers in the bedrooms the head of the staff and she just can't get uh, uh an edge in on on any of these things yeah i mean it's it's, driving her crazy
0: yeah i mean it's everything from wanting to eat out on the terrace and the maid setting the table is like "Mm, sorry joseph said you're eating in the dining room and then it goes straight to outside with the gardener she wants to put flowers in the bedroom and the gardener is like yeah no mr carrington isn't into that which is a little ironic considering one of the ways he sort of wooed her was delivering an apartment full of flowers to her. So it's funny that he doesn't even want one bouquet in the bedroom. But Crystal's had enough. Eventually, she goes to Blake with her concerns and is like, I'm not going to live like this. I want to say in how this fabulous, gigantic (laughs) mansion...
1: Which, which, like, she kind of gets this thing that she didn't wish for which is like (laughs) i love this is like the best moment of the episode i think like uh, you might disagree but they have this like parade of the help in their night clothes um, like it was comes bone out. chilling. <laughs> so she goes and, like, to... Flannel Bl- plaid and pajamas <laughs> and things. It's, it's bad.
0: Yeah. So basically she goes to Blake with her concerns. He calls Joseph in the middle of the night and calls a staff, staff meeting. <laughs> And they're in their all in their bedclothes from the chauffeur to the gardener to the maids. And Blake and Crystal go downstairs and Blake goes
1: and berates each of them. Well, I mean, he just has this like savage takedown of every single one of them.
0: It's you know? basically like at the end of RuPaul's Drag Race where they go through and they talk about each of the queens and what they did wrong. He just goes down the line like RuPaul and says what each of their shortcomings were. Like one person steals from him and he knows about it. The other person is lazy. And it just goes back to the fact that... You drink my champagne, but I'll let you pick out the wine. Yeah. yeah. It just goes back to the fact that Blake Carrington is the biggest bitch on the show. And I love it.
1: And did you recently have a conversation with my wife about flowers? Uh, I think so, yes. And did she ask you in the course of that conversation to place some flowers in our bedroom? Uh, that's right, she did. Did you tell her that I do not like flowers in my bedroom?
0: Yes, you've always said that you don't.
1: Mrs. Carrington loves flowers in her room. I do not, but I'll get used to that. What I'll not get used to is rudeness. The thing is, like... he delivers all of that. Then he just sort of drops in this, like, oh, we're going to have dinner for 10. And uh, Matthew Blaisdell's invited, you know. And she just kind of looks at him because, like, obviously this is a little bit like, what the hell? And he just sort of like smooches her and like runs off after he's like, he like drops the bomb and like exits the, the scene. <laughs> Which is, so it's sort of like this uncharacteristic moment for him, but I, I like that.
0: Yeah, well, you know who's not having that lineup is Crystal herself. She's completely mortified that Blake assembled the staff. But he explains to her, this is how it works when you're in charge, honey. You have to talk down to them. And at first, I was kind of on Crystal's side because I couldn't believe that he would do this. And it was completely mortifying. But then when he kind of explained himself once they were away, I was like, you know what? You're right, Blake. You do have to talk down to these people. You do have to threaten Wait, them and on shake board them down. That?
1: I mean, look, earlier, like, she's talking about the flowers and he fires the the gardener, right? Or whatever, over the flowers. Maybe sometimes you have to shoot a hostage. Well, but but then he does this, like, about face, like, my wife loves flowers. Like, it's like one of these, like, corny ass lines. And like, what what is the point of firing the gardener over, like, this woman you just married, like, you know, three days ago or something, or six weeks ago, depending on the honeymoon.
0: Blake explains it. He's fired the gardener as a power move because the gardener is going to beg for his job the next day and he'll give it back to him. The idea of like firing the gardener as a power move, you know? I love it. I love it. No, I think I'm on board with the Blank Carrington School of Management. Crystal does not love it. She did not love it. She
1: delivers like one of her most sympathetic. She hasn't acted this character in a bad way, but up until this moment, you don't really sympathize or at least I didn't and then she delivers this line to him that like you know you didn't have to do that that's not what I wanted you know and and you're just like oh geez yeah this is like this is like the worst like
0: yeah I mean maybe he did go a little bit too far but I do think his management technique is probably effective no he definitely went too far look where he is this
1: this was an age of extremes you know like this was considered like big business and management yeah Right right down to fire in the garden.
0: (laughs) But Blake Carrington has much bigger concerns. This oil crisis that he has could really bring his company down. He's assembled, I guess, the board and the help right there in the mansion in the study or his office or whatever that room is called
1: to kind of figure out what the hell they're going to do. It was kind of like a James Bond villain brain center. Yeah. Like there were... There were lawyers crawling over the place. and
0: Well, um, and I did not expect that things to get this dire this quickly
1: with the Carrington Company. Well, I this thought, is more of that oil stuff, you know? Oh, <laughs> yeah,
0: but this is red alert, like all hands on deck. Things
1: go up and down, usually down, you know? Like, uh, that's business.
0: And it kind of shakes down to everybody. Fallon is concerned. She kind of, like, sneaks in and has an opinion of the way things should be. Oh, don't be. play that
1: down. You know, like, she's obviously, like, she's trying to insert herself this, like, women's power moment, you know, and that's, like, her character, and I think it works. Right. But he keeps playing it down,
0: right? Well, and her sort of strategy is to get Matthew Blaisdell and Walter Lankersham back into the fold, which, if you remember from the last episode... They basically beat the shit out of them at the end of the wedding. So it would be pretty difficult, I think, to convince them to help out and provide their oil platform for the Carringtons. But as Fallon says, you do catch more bees with honey. It does seem like Blake is receptive to that idea. As Andy, the attorney, points out, Fallon might have another idea besides just helping out Carrington Oil. And that's making Crystal feel awkward because Matthew Blaisdell will be back in the mix again.
1: That's honestly probably the most interesting interesting thing about this uh, episode is she's got some weird dynamic between her father and Cecil from Colby Co., like that's not immediately apparent in this scene. Right. But then like, it seems like she's trying to assert herself as like this, like woman of business and power and she's got ideas and he's like, yes, you've made your point. Now go away.
0: Well, what I think is really interesting is that Fallon takes this on as a personal mission. She ends up going out on a date, I guess with Cecil Colby. And it's not just personal her mission in hanging out with him is to...
1: Okay, what was this date, though? Because there's, like, this weird little moment where, like, the the chauffeur she was screwing earlier kind of busts her as she's, like, getting into the F. Scott Fitzgerald, like, Duesenberg sort of vehicle, you know, and she's got the the feather boa thing going on. Well, yeah, and that
0: guy is so fucking annoying. All he wants to do is either bang her or make her feel bad about banging him and try to extort her and it's like dude she's not going for it so what's your point get back in the car and park it in the garage get
1: out of here well it's it's definitely one of the like less interesting sketched characters and and in, in, in this storyline it really starts to like great you know like i don't mean to sound they elitist, don't spend much time but... on this though so it just kind of like it, it moves on but
0: yeah it's not fully explained where they were going dressed up so fancy but fallon is wearing this amazing white gown with, with a white boa and cecil is in a black tie dressed better than blake carrington was dressed at his own damn wedding a couple of weeks yeah, ago I Thought the same thing so I don't know if they went to dinner somewhere nice or the opera or what, but they... Yeah, they, in- they went to the Elks Club. Or <laughs> maybe that's what it was. But they were definitely dressed up really nice, probably too nice to end up on some sort of moonlight stroll around I, I almost swamp. wonder if
1: something got left out of the script at that point, like why they were doing that whole number and then maybe they were like, oh, this is too much and they cut that part out or yeah, something. Yeah, but wouldn't <laughs> viewers like to
0: have known why characters were... Wearing the fanciest outfits that we've seen so far on this episode, even after we had the wedding of the century in the last couple of
1: episodes. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Not even the wedding of nineteen eighty one, (laughs) frankly. So it's it's nice to actually see them wearing some interesting outfits and having a business deal. at the at the lakeside. okay so before like we were talking i wasn't really sure what i thought about her situation with cecil Mm -hmm. you know at that wedding party now i thought she was there for power now i think she was actually there for her own ego not in a bad way but like i think she really wanted to run a company and have you know ideas about business and deliver results yeah and the way that she was talking then it seemed a little bit like it was a come on but now that in retrospect with what just happens here it seems like oh that was really her intent because now she's like bitten off more than she can chew because this guy is like oh well like basically he wants to trade A marriage with her and his son or nephew. Yeah,
0: I think it's all kind of mixed up in with each other. I think she does have feelings for Cecil. I think she's attracted to the fact that he's in a power position. I mean, look, you do kind of look for your parental figures and the people that you want to end up with, right? Well, Blake Carrington's her dad. Cecil Colby is this guy that's paying her some attention. And she likes that. And yeah, I think she also could see herself in a power position at his company or in some sort of business related to his company. But Cecil seems pretty set on the fact that he's only interested in her as a partner for his nephew, Jeff Colby.
1: I think there is like a classic moment in this conversation that they have though. And it's that... We're all sitting here like, look, this guy's like, what, 58, 62, who knows? Something in there.
0: I think he's and actually only 41.
1: Uh, right. Add, it's hard add to tell. At a few years because it's of the time. It's hard to tell. Right. Look, the point is she's like way younger than he is.
0: I like that Cecil acknowledges that Fallon is brilliant, and that's why he wants her to marry Jeff, because Jeff needs somebody like Fallon to lift him up. To be in charge of this massive yeah, operation yeah. at Colby Co, so I do like he is sort of giving her respect, but unfortunately, it's still in this sort of prison of being the wife of a successful in, man.
1: In some way, it's a little bit still an indictment of his yuppie nephew. You yeah, know? like he's he's not of that generation that he was from, and she's got all these like great ideas, and she's clearly willful and capable of uh, taking it to the next level. So, well, honey,
0: yeah, honey, misogyny is alive and well in 1981. And then, you know, unfortunately, Fallon kind of goes along with it. Mostly, I think, because she wants to save Carrington in this desperate situation and she knows this will do it. And this is probably the only way that she can do it.
1: That's the thing, right? I mean, like in the beginning, I think she was playing games with him. To somewhat for her own ego, like I said before. But and, and at this point, she she's like, oh, shit. Like, now he's kind of, like, you know, checkmated me because I didn't realize my father's business was about to go under when all this started taking place. And now she's, like, in a position where she has to... He's called in her bets. Yeah.
0: You know? And she even asks what will go wrong if she doesn't go through with it. And his response is totally creepy (laughs) at my age vengeance Vengeance is sweet as as sex
1: sex. (laughs) what if i change my mind and i don't keep my end of the bargain let's just say that at my
0: age vengeance is as sweet as sex the other thing we're still following along with is claudia's rehabilitation from being a mentally unstable person to a slightly less unstable person matthew um who i guess is just a total freaking sweetheart buys her a car because he feels like she's progressed and she can handle the responsibility of what kind of automobile was that
1: i don't know it was it a, i think it was a, a granada possibly
0: oh i've never even heard of a. Ford or it might granada. have even been
1: like a futura
0: well, whatever it is, she's completely freaked out by the gesture. She doesn't think she's ready. I would be ready. freaked out,
1: too, because, like, frankly, it's not even got, you know, fuel injection. It's probably getting about 11 miles to the gallon. Anti-lock brakes? Uh, hell no. It's, like, all four corners are drums, you know. <laughs> that's... Yeah, anyway. And it, and it comes in, like, an, in a hideous, non-metallic color that's, like, of the times. Like, some like Robin's egg blue, which matches her outfit, by the way.
0: Oh, yeah, no, I thought that was a very sweet gesture that he bought a car that matches most of the outfits she wears. Well, I was
1: wondering, like, was was blue just a thing at this moment, or was everybody just wearing blue? Because he's got this blue puffer jacket, or puffer vest, excuse me, and she's got, like, a blue top, you've got the blue car, and then, then, like, you know, he leaves her with it, and it's got, like, this, this blue ribbon on the steering wheel oh
0: that ribbon was so sad that was the saddest ribbon ever
1: (laughs) i guess we've been conditioned
0: for (laughs) years and years birthday candle or something (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess we've been conditioned for years and years and years after so many happy honda days that cars should have giant bows on top of them but unfortunately this ford granada or whatever it was just has that sad blue ribbon wrapped around the steering wheel but ev- And it's so
1: sad she removes it from the steering wheel. And you're thinking, is she contemplating suicide? <laughs> <laughs> Will
0: Claudia Blaisdell hang, <laughs> herself, hang herself with that, with that ribbon? ribbon? <laughs> yeah. No, eventually she does uh, overcome her fears. And she gets behind the wheel immediately, almost faces death from a passing Porsche or whatever that sports car was zooming way too fast in a residential well,
1: zone. They didn't have laws back then. so. You know, oh, really? They didn't have speed the limits they, in they 1981? They were just going like 100 miles per hour in a residential zone, you know?
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes more sense then. But poor thing seems so frazzled. She gets out, and I feel like she's just going to go buy a bus ticket and never get in a personal automobile ever again.
1: That's That would maybe make me more mental than driving a car. <laughs> what, but, the public bus system yes, in Denver? Yes, yes in Denver <laughs> especially.
0: Eventually, it seems she overcomes it because later on we see her driving to the Lancashire oil rig area with a big old basket for a picnic lunch with her hubby but as we learn the crew left because they couldn't pay them anymore because all the money's run out the oil derrick hasn't spurred any I said of this that before black you can
1: you can have all these oil rigs and you know ain't no oil coming so
0: yeah well it ain't coming there and that's why they're going so she's wondering where her husband is where everybody is and then, strangely, Stephen Carrington is there, like, hanging out in the trailer or, like, hanging out behind the trailer.
1: I, I still contend, and I think you felt this, too. Something was going on, but I don't think they meant that in the way they did it. But it was, like, not great production. So, I don't know. It, it doesn't was, make it was, any sense that weird. he just like, came he out of nowhere. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> yeah. Are, is that oil rig, like, a cruisy spot? Like, is that, you know, before you had grinder, you would just go meet at the lankersham oil rig for like an hj behind the back i mean
1: i i, I think i've you know, seen a bar or two that's been called lankersham oil rig <laughs> <laughs> out in studio city something like that
0: i you mean know? there is something pretty hot about those big oil rigs spurting stuff out of the top but anyway steven and claudia blaisdell have like a little friendly moment and i think that might it seemed to me like it indicated something to come between the two of them a friend a budding friendship or something uh see
1: i'm glad you see that that's actually maybe my favorite thing about these early episodes and really early couple of seasons is is their their sort of thing and you know i don't want to say much because it it evolves but um even here like she's like oh i was here to see my husband but like he's there instead and it's like, oh, what does that mean? You know, like, but I, I like that. And it does it does turn into something else later.
0: But yeah, so Claudia and Stephen part ways. Stephen is looking for Matthew and ends up finding him and Walter Lankersham and this whole crew that left at a iconic <laughs> roadside
1: bar called the Hillside. Iconic. Eh, maybe it's just sort of like typical. Uh, but fine yes roadside bar <laughs> and, and...
0: i like how we go from iconic <laughs> to typical well
1: it's really not iconic i mean i would you really go to this place and call it that i mean but what makes it iconic is is this uh totally over the top arm wrestling match
0: so yeah inside of this super divey bar matthew blaisdell is having an arm wrestling match with none other than robert davi future james bond villain and character actor who's one of the oil guys who who left and it was just
1: paying his dues
0: yeah i guess this might have been one of his first roles but i instant I mean how could you not recognize that face and yeah their arm wrestling
1: which I guess is some sort of form of bonding no I-, I felt like this was like your typical it was a stand-in for actually kicking somebody's ass you know <laughs> but like but just in a recreational way
0: yeah and then Matthew lets him win I think and this is all sort of part of them trying to get the crew to come
1: back so they can get that oil baby wait wait are you are you are you giving some sort of like magical association between the two things or you think them arm wrestling is going to create the the gushing of the oil rigs for, <laughs> no like. no 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 i
0: no i think matthew is a very charming guy we've already seen that in just a few episodes so he far He's charming
1: he's not a great actor but he is a charming actor yeah, yeah. and i, mean, I he's think he's not given he, a lot of material to work with but he makes a charming in a way yeah
0: and i think he's self aware of his charm and he's trying to use that to get these guys back on to the oil rig And it seems to kind of work, but then that old sob Stephen
1: comes in and kind of mucks it up. Um, Stephen really is like he's like that thundercloud over everything when he shows up, you know. Totally. But that's why I like it when he's with Claudia earlier because like there's like sunshine. You know, like the two of them together seem to make sense.
0: Yeah. Two negatives equal each other or cancel
1: each other out. Sure. I mean, they're not doing algebra, but it's the same kind of idea. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, but like, you know, he shows up at this bar scene and it's, it's kind of ballsy actually. And and I don't know if he's like trying to prove something. I I guess that's what they're doing with the storyline, you know?
0: Yeah. I think his intention is he wants to get a job on this oil rig and prove that he doesn't Need Carrington the name or his father? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Matthew sort of goes along with it, but the other guys on the team do not, and he ends up like picking a fight with them. And takes a sucker punch at one, and then it turns into, like, a bar brawl. And it's like, oh, my God, my eyes were rolling so hard. At this point,
1: like, uh, you knew how how it was going to turn out. However, it was nice that he at least got a sucker punch in. But really, does every dive bar have to have a
0: brawl
1: in it? No. See, now I feel like we're on opposite ends of this one, because... I, I, you know, I was saying you that, were bloodthirsty as soon as they <laughs> walked into that bar. I mean, yeah, I mean, as in mu- as much as I'm a vampire, sure, because I think that uh, the earlier episode where you know they're in the carriage house beating the shit out of somebody, uh, Walter Linkersham, and then like there's like the dog fight thing, you know, I, I thought those were just like cheesy plot points. Honestly this probably was too and it's a little bit like saloon you know we've seen it again before but i i feel like with the character maybe it it works in a way because you're sort of only seeing this one dimensional you know like he's just like simpering in the background you know but here he is like throwing a sucker punch i don't know it, it was it worked for me
0: yeah i'm still rooting for steven i want the best for him i, I I just don't know if he's going about it the wrong way. And I don't think his father does either. Later we see him kind of run into Crystal and Blake and his face is completely busted up from this bar brawl. And his dad kind of, you know, thinks his idea of working for himself
1: doesn't really make sense, but hopefully yeah, that's a sort of like a screwed up dynamic, right? It's like, I want you to man up, but then he shows up with, like, a bloodied face, and then, like, well, why are you messing around with those people? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, which is it then, you know?
0: Yeah, they obviously have one of the most dysfunctional relationships on the show, and I can already feel in my bones that it's going to continue for years and years and years. But I wish the best for Steven, even though I just think he's really pathetic. I guess one of the best things in the episode is that Claudia Blaisdell finally gets what she wants and that sexy time with her
1: hubby wubby. We're we're back to the same setting. She's in in bed in her nighty, but now it's nighty and he's like coming fresh out of the shower, I guess, right? Are you getting me all wet? Oh, I'm sorry. I'll just No. I'll take you to and it's like come on did the writers look i get this was a long time ago the writers knew what they were writing
0: though you don't have a sexy scene where a woman says you're getting me all wet even though somebody just got out of the shower without Being fully aware of what that meant. Frankly, I'm surprised that the censors allowed such naughty language on the air. Well, that's just how they avoid her next rating. And if that wasn't enough, then she grabs the towel wrapped around Matthew Blaisdell's waist and pulls it off. Now, of course, we don't see anything. This is prime time on ABC, but... I guess it's our first male nude scene. Well, no, we saw the chauffeur naked in the tub last episode. So this is really establishing itself as a very sexy show.
1: It is. But I mean, you had to think about it. like we've just come fresh out the 70s and, you know, male nudity is not that crazy, but it's always above the waist, right? Like you're never going to see anything more than like navel and nips.
0: I mean, that scene didn't turn me on, but I'm ecstatic that Claudia finally got some action. And by action, I don't mean a new Ford Fiesta.
1: If you call action a new Ford Fiesta, yeah, I'd be wet too. (laughs) Quit saying that.
0: Alright, let's get to our looks of the week. I thought we had a lot to choose from. I'm excited to see what you chose.
1: You thought we had a lot to choose
0: from. Well, certainly more than
1: last <laughs> week when there was like terrible wedding attire. Well, I mean, again, we're in the early episodes, and there's it's like there's like this like doldrum of fashion going on at this point. So it's it's hard. And this show kind of demonstrates that. But I will say you can't overlook what Fallon was wearing, you know, car side uh, uh, with this, like, you know, Duesenberg and feather boa outfit. She's doing this like F Scott Fitzgerald, great Gatsby nonsense. Yeah. Um, it's a little easy though, you know, but I think it's it's kind of the most interesting interesting thing going on.
0: It really is the most glamorous outfit that we've seen on right. this show. Yes, I know we're only in like episode three or four depending on how you're counting. but this I think might be setting the tone for what dynasty is known for which is gorgeous
1: gowns it really was a gorgeous look i agree well you know it was not terribly interesting by itself but in contrast to what was going on um and it's it's a nice material I, who knows at this point it could have just been polyester but you know it was it had a nice drape the uh, cut was good it, it sort of fit with the uh, the idea of the uh, Duesenberg Roadster that she's, you know, getting into.
0: No, I totally agree. Fallon's outfit is clearly the Lurk of the Week across the board. But I do think Crystal should get honorable mention for her flowy peach, what is that, like silk nightgown that uh, she's wearing when Blake ushers her down to meet the rest of the staff. It's like got a great silhouette. It's, it's, it's like what Marie Antoinette sexy. wore
1: when she went to the guillotine. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I'm not familiar with with what Marie Antoinette wore to the guillotine. I, I, I just I remember just what, making what she a comparison said
1: because, like, basically, she's wearing something very nice down to you know be uh, impaled by the servants essentially. <laughs> but yes. Well,
0: the the servants were the ones getting impaled in that instance, but. You know, so far, Linda Evans hasn't received a lot of great costumes to wear on the show, and I know it's going to get too, better. Not too many
1: bad costumes either. I mean, Yeah, but nothing that's really... She's sti- treated on it's this production.
0: Nothing that's really stood out, so to see her in something like that, it's like, okay... This is what we're, this is the direction that we need to be going in. It wasn't as amazing as Fallon's outfit, but it definitely,
1: it's it definitely not, had a but nice, I sheen will say, to it. it's probably a good pattern for what you see. Uh, I hate to reference the Golden Girls, however, Blanche and maybe even Dorothy, there's a lot of like this flowy, you know, night clothes thing you know it's pastels and silks and it it makes sense and it's sort of like provocative in a in a way but it also kind of presages what happens a little bit later for the next five or eight years and
0: yeah i want to wear that when i go to sleep tonight Well, what a great episode. I'm excited to see what's going to happen. We've got Fallon promising herself to Jeff Colby. We've got the Carrington Oil Company up in arms. And then we've got this like dinner party that's being planned with Matthew Blaisdell and his wife invited in to the den back into the Carrington mansion. So I'm I'm excited where we're
1: going to go. All right, Crystal's going to be confronted by just what she wanted to walk away from.
0: So. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be so juicy. Anyway, that's it for this week. Kyler, thank you so much for joining me. I also want to thank DJ Jugo for creating our awesome theme song and also the artist Lindsay Mound for designing our gorgeous logo and graphics. If you want to follow along with us, we're on social media at Nasty Podcast. That's N-A-S-T-Y Podcast. And you can also go to our website, which is NastyPodcast.com. In between episodes, we're posting all sorts of stuff to keep you wet as Claudia Blaisdell. See you next
1: week. Bye-bye. It's all the flash and fire of two (laughs) snails mating.